Okay, I'm going to start off uh, kind of fast this evening. I'm going to ask you a personal question right off the top. No clever introductions, no attention-grabbing illustrations. I'm just going to ask you right off the top, are you hopelessly in love with Jesus Christ? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Are you captivated by the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you awestruck by the Lord Jesus Christ? I want to say to you, if you call yourself a Christian, you should be all of those things. You should be all of those things. We are supposed to be awestruck forever and always. That's pretty much what it means to be a Christian. We've caught a glimpse of the living God, and He is unspeakably glorious, and our lives have been changed forever. That's one thing that it means to come into relationship with Jesus Christ. I shared this with the group about three or four or five, maybe six weeks ago. I don't remember exactly. But we talked about those four living creatures. You guys know the four living creatures in Revelation uh, chapter 4. And they've made an, an eternal career out of not being able to get enough of God. From the day that the Lord created them, they've just been simply looking at Him. Now, we don't know how far in eternity past that is, but from that day forward, all they do for a living is look at God and give praise. And we talked a lot about this. They can't take their eyes off of Him. And, I, and I, I, my, one of my seminary professors said, if you went up and tapped one of them on the shoulder, there's no way He's going to turn around. The text says, if you look at the text in Revelation chapter 4, that they are full of eyes all around and within. And I think it's an awesome thing that God gave them so many eyes, but I know they wish they had one more. How many eyes do you need to look at infinite beauty? Always one more, I think. Always one more. So they've been looking at Him for a billion eternities, and the one thing they know is they're going to need a billion more to drink Him in to drink all the beauty in and all the glory and all the passion and all the joy and all the life of Jesus Christ. An eternity future will not be long enough for them. We've been talking a lot about this. It's not about you. I know it's really hard when you're young. I know you think it's all about you. I know some of you may tell me you, you, you know it's not all about you. Mentally you should say it's not all about me. Because you're in the church and you know who it's supposed to be about. But I remember what it's like when you're young. And even when you get old, you still want to think the universe revolves around you. Guess what? It doesn't. Who does it revolve around? Jesus Christ. We were made by Him and we were made for Him. Everybody in this church knows that uh, verse. I, I bring it up pretty frequently. Not only do we understand that it's not about us, we love it that it's not about us. Because you know what? I'm not that interesting. Now, I know that most of you are probably more interesting than I am. But you're not interesting enough to fill up forever. And that's what Jesus Christ does. Jesus Christ is fascinating enough to thrill your soul beyond expression for a billion eternity. Do you know that about Him? Have you learned that about your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? 
He will fill you up forever with His intoxicating beauty. And Jesus Christ evokes what, what's going on in Revelation chapter 4. One theologian calls it the eternal gasp. And I'm going to talk more about that, so I won't, I won't develop that right now. But Jesus Christ evokes the eternal gasp in the heart of every true believer. You guys know what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. God has set eternity in the heart of man. Do you know why God set eternity in your heart? I bet you could guess if I gave you long enough. Because He means to fill it up. He means to fill it up. This is why He said eternity in the heart of man. And nothing in this world can fill it up. Some of you have tried to fill it up with, with lesser things, but you can't. Some of, you are, some of you are so young, you haven't had the chance to try to fill it up with all the junk in the world. And some of you are still thinking, man, I can't wait till I can do X. Or I can't wait till I can do Y. Or I can do Z. Let me tell you what. The only thing that's ever going to fill your heart to overflowing is the living God. You can go out and do X, Y, Z, but it's going, to leave you, it's going to leave you empty. Only the Lord Jesus can fill your heart. And we've been talking a lot about worship the last couple of weeks. And we saw in Luke chapter 7, we saw a prostitute uh, show us how to really worship God. You know the account when she comes and, and she, she weeps over the feet of Jesus and her tears fall on His feet and she, she wipes them with her hair, and her, her worship of Jesus Christ is totally uninhibited. Let me ask you, have you ever worshipped like that? Have you ever worshipped from the core of your soul and the core of your heart? And you don't care who's standing around, and you don't care who sees. This is how she was. She came into the house of a Pharisee to worship her Lord and Savior. We saw the same thing over in Mark 14. We saw it in Mary. Do you remember Mary broke the vial the costly vial of perfume that was worth one year's wages. Do you remember? And we did the math on that. We tried to bring it into modern day context. We just took the, the wage of an average worker. We'll say seven euros an hour. That's 15 grand. 15,000 she just poured out on the Lord Jesus. Why? Nothing compares to Him. Right? Nothing compares to Him. It's one of the hallmarks of being a Christian of being a genuine... I'm not talking about church members. We talk about this a lot in our church. I'm not talking about church members. I don't care about church members. I'm not interested in church members. What I'm interested in are sold-out disciples of Jesus Christ who love Him with all their heart. And they're pursuing Him. Just like we see in the text this evening as Moses is pursuing God. Oh God, show me Your glory. I hope you have your Bibles open if you have one with you. Exodus 33, you heard Giuseppe read the text. And I want to say this before I begin. I don't want you to ever forget it. Uh, one of my pastors used to say this when I was in seminary, the church I went to. He would say this all the time, and, and it's in my head. And it's a true statement. Some of you know it by experience. But you will get as much of God as you want in your life. So the question always is, how much do you want? How much of Jesus Christ do you want? You know, you know the story of Moses, born a slave, Raised the prince. He's a murderer on the run. He's uh, minding his own business one afternoon, uh, pasturing uh, his father-in-law's flock, and then God comes to him. This has happened to some of you, right? It's just an average day and God comes. It's happened to me. 
And Moses is, Moses is involved in his, uh, his shepherding. It, it's a comfortable life. It's low risk. It, uh, it's a manageable thing. It's very secure. But you know what I'm talking about? When God comes, when God comes, many times He asks us to turn our back on the low risk. And He challenges us to walk with Him. And Moses had to make the same decision that you and I have to make. Will we really walk with Christ or will we just be, merely be a church member? Will we just be religious? Will we just be called an evangelical who actually never does anything? So we have to make the decision. Are we going to be Christian in name only? Or are we going to go with God? And this is the decision that Moses had to make. This is the decision that Moses has to make. And Moses decides to go with God. And you guys know most of the rest of the story. He becomes one of the greatest men to ever live. And he lives one of the greatest lives that anyone has ever lived. But that's not the sermon. That's not the thing I want to talk about tonight. That's not it. The lesson that I want to learn uh, from Moses is that as Moses goes with God, he falls increasingly in love with God. And we see this in the pages of Scripture over and over and over and over again. The men and women who are willing to really follow Christ, they increasingly fall in love with Him. And, and being captivated is something that, that uh, permeates the vocabulary. But let me talk about Moses just for a minute. He sees these incredible and inconceivable and miraculous and awesome things. I'm going to talk about some of the things that Moses experienced. First of all, he experienced the, the presence of God in that burning bush, right? And he saw the omnipotent power of God as God crushed the nation of Egypt in judgment. Moses passed through the Red Sea. Moses ate the manna from heaven and he drank water from a rock. Moses received the Ten Commandments from the hand of of God and Moses saw firsthand both the wrath and the grace of Jehovah God in the Jewish camp but here's what I want you to hear and I don't want you to forget this okay this is what I want you to hear this evening Moses knows more about God than any man who's ever walked the planet save maybe the apostle Paul and Moses knows he hasn't seen anything do you know this about your Christianity? Do you know this about your Lord and Savior? Do you know you haven't seen anything yet? Do you know you could walk with Jesus Christ for a lifetime and not touch the hem of the, the glory of His garment? Do you know this? And this is what we're going to see in Moses. Moses says, Oh Lord, show me Your glory. Show me Your glory. And I want to say this to you. If, if I ask you to describe genuine worship to me, you would come up with probably some verbs like this. Exalting God, honoring Him, venerating Him, glorifying Him, treasuring Him, loving Him, adoring Him. Some of you might even say obeying Him. And we could maybe pile on 25 more verbs. But I, there's one verb I want you to, to walk out of here and not forget. And it's not a verb that would come off most Christians' tongue, okay? For some maybe, but not most. You know, what, you know what the heart, in my view, the heart of true worship is? <laughs> it's desire. It's desiring God. It's desiring God above everything else. To me, that, that's the core. That's the core 
of worship. And as we briefly look at this text um, this evening, I, I want to make three points as, that we see uh, in Moses. Three truths that are common to all true believers. One, our souls desire to know God more. Okay? Two, our souls delight in the glory of God. And three, our souls are in on the eternal gasp. I mentioned that to you a moment ago, and I'll explain that in a few minutes. So, we're in the, let me give you the context of Exodus 33. In Exodus 32, there was rebellion in the camp. The people had sinned a great sin. Judgment has been in the camp, and repentance has come into the camp, and Moses begins to pray. And the first truth that is common to all true believers, all genuine Christians, is that we desire to know Him more. And I'm going to pick up here in verse 12. And Moses said to the Lord, See, thou dost say to me, Bring up this people, but thou thyself hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Moreover, thou hast said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now listen to him, verse 13. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found favor in thy sight, what does he say? Let me know thy ways that I may know thee. This is the first truth that's true of every true believer. It's this insatiable desire to know more of God. Listen to what he says. That I may know thee, so that I may find favor in thy sight. Consider too that this nation is thy people. Do you hear it in Moses' prayer? Moses says, let me know thy ways that I may know thee. You heard it when I read Psalm 42. Let me share Psalm 73, 25 with you. Whom have I in heaven but thee, and besides thee I desire nothing on earth. Do you hear it? Do you hear the desire? Listen to Psalm 63.1. O God, Thou art my God, I shall seek Thee earnestly. My soul thirsts for Thee, my flesh yearns for Thee. Do you hear it? Do you hear it in the, in the psalmist? Listen to Paul. You know this verse, very famous verse. Paul says, but whatever things are gained to me, those things I have counted as lost. Why? Why? For the sake of Jesus Christ. And then he says this, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Verse 9, he says that I may be found in Christ. And then verse 10 of Philippians chapter 3, he says that I may know Him. Do you hear it? Let me ask you. You call yourself Christians. Does that describe your heart? Keith uh, blessed us this morning with a great sermon and he referenced this text. He referenced this text. Let me, let me ask you. You know, uh, religion tries to make Christianity 101 different things. But God says it's one thing. God says, you love me. And God says, you desire me. And God says, you obey me. That's genuine Christianity. That's genuine Christianity. You know, religion and denominations try to make it into a whole lot of different stuff. But the bottom line is, do you love Him? Are you hungering and thirsting after Him? You know, you were made, you were made to lust. Did you know that you ever been taught, taught this from the, from, in the church that you were made to lust? What does lust mean? It's a perfectly good word. It's just always used in a negative context. What does lust mean? To passionately what? 
desire. Don't you hear that in the psalmist's words? Don't you hear that in Moses' prayer? Don't you hear that in the Apostle Paul? Oh Lord, I want to know You more than anything else. I hunger for You. I yearn for You. I thirst for You. That's true Christianity. And don't let anybody sell you anything less. Okay? Don't let anybody... It's a bill of goods. If you think Christianity is anything less than that, it's being hot on the heels of the Lord Jesus Christ, hopelessly in love with who He is and what He's done. He has called His people to a holy lust. He's made us... This is why He said eternity in our hearts. We have an eternity of desire in our hearts. And we try to fill it up with everything out in the world. Guess what? You'll never be able to. Ever. Only God can fill up that eternity of desire that He placed in our heart. John Piper is right. Human life is all about God. Period. Period. If you don't understand that, you need to do some business with God. <laughs> Human life is all about God. Period. But you and I both know that that's not really true in our own lives. We know, we know that uh, what? That sin is in our life, right? And we know that we've given our affections to lesser things. We've not always loved God as we should. Have we? Sin has come into our lives. And we have, in fact, given our hearts to lesser things. And I want to say to you, when you love something more than God, we already know what the Bible says about that. It's, it's idolatry, right? When you're loving and pursuing and desiring something more than God, just... Be honest with yourself. you got an idol in your heart. There's an idol in your heart. And I want to say to you, this is a great insult to God. <laughs> it's a great insult for, that you would love something more than you love Him. Your Creator. The Creator that gave you everything that you have and gave you all the talents that you have. He gave you the body that you walk around in. This is a great insult to God. And this is what happened in the garden as men rebelled against Him. But we just got through with the Gospel of John. We were in the Gospel of John for quite some time. And what does the Lord Jesus say? He says, man, your hearts are so broken and you're so self-absorbed with sin. What did, he tell? what did He tell Nicodemus? That what? Man, you got to be born again. you got to start over. In fact, you need such a big miracle, I'm going to have to put a new heart in you. What does the Old Testament say? That I'm going to take out, God says, I'm going to take that heart of stone out of My people and I'm going to put in what? A heart of flesh that beats for me and loves me. And loves my people. The second truth common to all true believers is that our soul delights in the unspeakable glory of God. Look at verses 14 through 18. And God said, My presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Verse 15. And Moses said to him, If thy presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. Verse 16, For how then can it be known that I have found favor in thy sight, I and thy people? Is it not by thy going with us so that we, I and thy people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? I love this. Look at verse 15. Moses says, If you're not going to go with us, we're not going to go. I don't want the promised land without you, Lord. Is that how you feel? Is that how you feel? 
Lord, I don't want that career unless you're in it. I don't want that potential spouse unless you're in it. I don't want that money unless you're in it. It's no good to me. You're more valuable to me than anything else. Is that how it is with you? That's what a biblical Christian is supposed to look like. This is what we're supposed to look like. Right? Moses says, we won't go up without you even into the promised land. I won't have it without you, O Lord, unless you go with me. Look what he says in verse 16. He says, you are our renowned. You're the one that distinguishes us. We're nothing without you. We won't go up without you, is what Moses is saying. And then he says, verse 17, verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. And I love this because we just got through with, uh, with the Gospel of John, and we, we took a long, hard look at, at John chapter 10. And you know what Jesus says in John chapter 10? He said what? I am the Good Shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. And I love my sheep. And my sheep love me. Friends, you know what? The Bible is real clear. It tells us over and over and over and over what genuine Christianity is supposed to look like. And for some reason, most of the modern church wants to dumb it down. And uh, it's a tragedy, really. It's a tragedy in the church and it's a poverty in the church. Man, I want you to grab on to what Moses understood and what the psalmist understood and what Paul understood. I count all things. What does the King James say? What does the King James say in Philippians chapter 3? I count all things as what? Dung. This is what the King James says. In comparison to knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is Jesus' definition, John 17, 3. This is eternal life that they may what? Someone tell me that they may know you. This is it. Is, so let me ask you, is there a relationship going on? Or is it just Sunday morning, Sunday evening, youth time thing? Or is there a relationship going on? If there's not a relationship going on, you're not a Christian. It doesn't matter how many prayers you prayed or how many times you've been baptized. If there's not a relationship going on, you are not yet a Christian. This is what a Christianity means. That... They will know me. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7? And they said, man, we did all kinds of miracles. They said, we did miracles in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did all this stuff in your name. And what did Jesus say? I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, or Moses says, Lord, I pray, show me thy glory. You guys, many of you know who A.W. Tozer is. Great preacher back uh, in the last century, back in the States. He said this is the prayer that God delights to hear from His people. Let me ask you, when was the last time you prayed, Lord, show me your glory? And when was the last time you expected Him to show up? I love what Tozer says. I think he's exactly right. I think he's exactly right. And Moses has seen more of God than any man who's ever walked the face of the earth. And Moses knows one more thing. He hasn't seen anything yet. He says, Lord, show me Your glory. And I'll give you a personal testimony. I've been a Christian for 25 years. 
And I've been looking at Him and walking with Him and experiencing Him and praying to Him and laying on my face before Him. And I want to say something that, that is irrefutably true. And if you're a Christian, you understand this. I know I haven't seen anything yet. I know this much about Jesus Christ. His beauty and His glory fills an eternity. It fills infinity. And we are indeed, all of those who belong to Him, we are in on the sacred romance. And there's a great book, and some of you probably read it. John Elders wrote a book called uh, uh, The Sacred Romance. He and Brent Curtis. And it's a great book. If you, if you young people, you haven't read it, go read it. The Sacred Romance. The Sacred Romance. Because the true believers are in on the sacred romance. And Moses knows that there's infinitely more glory to see. And guess what? Moses wants to see every last bit of it. And he's captivated. And what I'm trying to plant in your hearts and minds is that you would understand that God is so desirably beautiful that you would pursue Him with all your might for the balance of your days. That you would be like Moses. Oh Lord, show me Your glory. And Moses gets it. He gets it. He's found He's found who He was created for. His heart has finally found the one who can fill His heart up. Okay? Moses gets it. And we just watch Moses. We're watching Moses right here just lust away. He's lusting after God. It's a holy lust. It's a holy desire for the living God. And I want to say this to you. And I want you to hear me. Moses has learned that God created Moses to fill Moses up with God, okay? Moses has learned that God created Moses for, for the, the sheer purpose of filling Moses up with God. This is the Gospel. God is giving Himself to His children. He's redeeming them, and then He's pouring Himself into their hearts. Moses gets it, and he boldly prays, Oh God, show me Thy glory. And I want to make this point to you once again. I really believe when someone asks you what worship is, I want you to at least think about this. Don't give a pat answer. I think worship is desire. I think worship is a desire for God. It's what the psalmist says, My flesh yearns for Thee. My soul thirsts for Thee. This is why Jesus Christ hates. I bet some of you could finish that sentence. You know what he hates, right? He hates lukewarm religion. What does he say in the Revelation? He says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. All you've got to do is read the Old Testament. God hates dead religion. He hates it. He hates passionless, rote religion. God hates it. He says, don't come to me with your lips unless you're going to bring your heart. Isn't that what God says? All the way through the Bible. Don't come to me with your lips unless you're going to bring, my, uh, unless you're going to bring your heart. Bring your desire if you want to come and know me. How can we assure, as Christians, how do we assure ourselves of the, of the continuing disclosure of God in our life? How, how, how can we assure ourselves that that God will continually disclose Himself to us. Does anybody know what the Bible says? It's very clear. John 14, Jesus says, 
If you love me, what? You'll do what I say. None of us do it perfect. We know that. We're all sinners. We all have to repent. We all have to confess. But Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then he says one of the most awesome things in all the Bible. He says, I'll disclose myself to you. I want you to claim that. Okay? I want you to claim that. And what you have to do is you have to go out and obey the Lord. Go out and obey the Lord. And Jesus says, when you obey me, I will disclose myself to you. All right, let's finish up here. The third truth that's common to all true believers is that we are in on the eternal gasp. So what do I mean, about, what do I mean by the eternal gasp? Um, you know, sometimes when you're, when you're confronted with breathtaking beauty, sometimes you'll hear people just... The, the, they'll just gasp. It, it's, it's, uh, I don't know if you've uh, experienced this. Maybe you, you understand. Maybe you've done that uh, before. It's kind of the audible, inaudible expression. There are no words to describe the beauty that you just saw. And it was almost like a shocking beauty. It, it, uh, it's a shocking thing. The, the, the scene that you saw, maybe the Grand Canyon, maybe the, the sun setting at uh, Positano, uh, maybe, maybe driving through Tuscany, you see the beauty of the created order. But this is what I mean by, by gasp. And I'm always amazed that Moses never writes anything about what he saw. Let me read the text. Moses said, show me thy glory. And the Lord said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show my compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and you shall stand there on the rock. And of course, that's a picture of Christ. I don't have time to develop that. And it will come about while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses doesn't write anything about this. Do you know why? Does anybody know why? Because human language, human language can't get there, okay? Human language can't get there. And this is what a gasp is for. I think, I think the Lord Jesus created a gasp just for Himself. Just so His people could respond to His shocking beauty and His infinite glory. You may remember, you remember when, when, when Moses first encountered uh, God in the burning bush and Moses was afraid to look at God. It said The text said in Exodus chapter 3 that he hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. But wait a minute. Now all he wants to do is look at God. What's changed? Someone tell me. What has changed in Moses? What's changed? Has God changed? Moses has changed. It's that whole John chapter 3 thing. Moses has been born again. He's got that heart of flesh. He's reconciled to his God. And he can't get enough. I'm going to ask you again, is that how it is with you? Is that how it is with you in your Christian walk? And you know back in Exodus 3, uh, God said, I am. Moses said, well, what's your name? And God says, I am. 
And there's a lot of things I could say about that. But I'll just say this for the sake of time. God says, I'm all that you will ever want or need. I am all that you will... All of your desires are found full in Me. This is what God is saying. This is one of the things God is saying. I am that I am. I'm all that My people will ever need. Yes, He's communicating more than that with that, with that uh, name for Himself, His transcendence, His self-existence, His deity. But He's saying, I'm all that My people will ever need. Moses has learned that there's an eternity of desire in his heart and he's found the one that can fill it up. And if you're not a Christian tonight, I want to say, <clears throat> I want to say that you, you have a raging thirst in your soul. I know you do. Every human being does. God put it there. You have a raging desire in your soul. And you're going to try to fill it up one way or another. You are. You will. But the Gospel's about the Lord Jesus Christ redeeming us that we might fill our hearts up with Him. Then we might live like real Christians, not church members, real Christians, passionately pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ for the balance of our day. So what I want to say to you as I close, I want you to go out of here and I want you to worship like that prostitute in Luke chapter 7, uninhibited. And I want you to worship like that widow in Mark 12. We talked about her. Remember, she threw her last penny in. I want you to worship Jesus Christ like that. Worship Him with abandon. And I want you to go out of here and I want you to think about worshiping Jesus Christ like Mary who poured out 15,000 euro on the head of Jesus Christ to anoint Him simply because she loved Him. Have you ever worshipped like that? Friends, we need to learn that what genuine Christianity is all about. And I'm through. It's not having your name on a church roll. And it's not being a Sunday school teacher. It's not being a deacon. It's not even being a preacher. You know, I, I studied in seminary preachers who got converted while they were preaching. Okay, you guys ever heard this? It happens. Okay? I'm talking about men who are simply religious. They're religious all their lives. They may even be in a pulpit. And then God does a miracle in their heart. And it all changes. It all changes. It's not theoretical anymore. It's a passionate thing. It's a sacred romance. That's genuine Christianity. That's genuine Christianity. So I want you to, I want you to think about this as you leave. If you know Jesus Christ tonight, one thing I can say for sure, you haven't seen anything yet. And I want you to leave here and I want you to pray the prayer of Moses. Oh God, show me Your glory. Show me Your glory in my life. Show me Your glory in my marriage. Show me Your glory with my kids. Show me Your glory in my career. Show me Your glory in the church. God, take me and use me up. Show me Your glory. I want to leave you with that, with that challenge. Oh God, show me Your glory. I want, I want to make one promise to you. He will. And He'll fill your soul up to overflowing forever and forever. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, forgive us if any one of us in here are simply playing church with You or being <clears throat> playing religion with You. Father, forgive us for we know that 
Not only is that not pleasing in your sight, it is a stench in your nostrils. That we would come before You in our own self-righteousness, in our own good deeds. Father, forgive us if we've, if we've entertained such a small thought about You and about the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We know that our Lord Jesus didn't spill His blood that we could be church members. He spilled His blood that we would be passionate followers. That we would be disciples and that we would do what disciples do. That we would eat Your Word. That we would abide in Your Word, O Lord. And that we would go out and share that Word and make disciples. O God, forgive us if we've been if we've thought small about You, forgive us if, if we've made worship something other than just simply loving and desiring Jesus Christ. Oh God, forgive us. We repent of that this evening. Father, I pray that each one of us in here would repent from that. For Your Word tells us how You feel about dead and passionless religion. Lord, give us a heart like Moses. Give us a heart like Moses, O oh Father. Father, give us a glimpse of Your glory. Oh God, come and disclose Yourself richly to us that we may be poured out for the glory of Your Son. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. We have, a, we have a closing course. I don't know if we have it on PowerPoint. Well, PowerPoint's over there, so we won't worry about it. So you guys follow along. You probably know this song. It's just the chorus. Ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts. Oh, let the ancient words impart. Ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts. Oh, let the ancient words Amen. Go out of this place, pursue Him, love Him, desire Him, glorify Him. Okay, you guys have a great week in Milano. And the rest of you, have a great week. God bless. We'll see you next time.